Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. to the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm. Tonight is the night we normally get dolled up in our glad rags and head to the Camogie All-Stars, but they're gone virtual this year, so we have a pre-All-Star show with former stars Elaine Aylward of Kilkenny and Aoife Sheehan of Limerick, you know, just to wrap up last year and see how they all got on. Intercounty referee Ray Kelly also on how the referees are finding no sport during lockdown and how he's keeping his fitness. Olympic hopeful and roar Gary O'Donovan joins me also to chat in the show. And Colm O'Sullivan, Colm O'Sullivan excuse me, caught up with Ronnie Whelan this week. So we've all that and loads more between now and 7pm. So that's on the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Good evening and welcome along to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm. So we have a busy show tonight, but just ahead of maybe tonight, Corksville Healy goes in the 400 metres final at 20 past 7 Irish time this evening. So do not forget to keep an eye on that a little later on. I did mention tonight at 7pm we'll be able to sit down and relax from the comfort of our own homes and enjoy the Camogie All-Stars. Are they being live streamed on Facebook? Uh, like all sport last year, Camogie continued during COVID and gave us some amazing memories. Uh, so joining me live now on the Big Red Bench for a pre-All-Stars party is a former Limerick Camogie star Aoife Sheehan and former Kilkenny star Elaine Aylward. Welcome ladies. I mean, first of all, Aoife, the three of us were the lucky few that got to attend these games last year. How did you find it? Um, I, I actually loved it. I started off going to the, I was at the Cork and Galway game up in Pierce Stadium and um, it was a lovely day. Like um, Salt Hill looked fab and the game of Camogie was really good that day. That was the day Rebecca Henley got the two sidelines. Um, and that was one of the standout moments for me as well in the championship. It was, it was really, really good. Um, but overall, I think the condensed championship really suited it. Um, I think Parky Cueve was fantastic as a venue for the quarterfinal and semifinals. And it really showcased Camogie because you know, often down to the years, you'd see maybe highlights coming from different, you know, pitches around the country. And, you know, Camogie doesn't look great, like from, you know, just, you know, the, the pitches when um, when it's not the main pitch. But I thought both um, games or both days out, um, Camogie just, it was it was showcased um, spectacular. Skill level was, was immense. And um, it was just really, really good. And the final then I thought was brilliant. Um, Kilkenny and Galway served up a great game. It was, you know, an exciting finish. The the penalty with Denise Gall and everything else, but it was it was just a really really good story for Camogie. I think last year. Elaine, how about yourself? Yeah, it was just so surreal. I think to actually be at the game. I think my first one was in Welsh Park and Washford and Washford and Kilkenny played the first round game there, and it was it was strange going into it because you had all the protocol with the hand washing and the masks and everything. But once you got in there you nearly forgot all about COVID for those couple of hours. You were just in watching Camogie and it was brilliant. But even that day, I suppose, we were leaving Raj Park and we were saying, like, will we get another week out of it or is this it? No one really knew how the country was going to go for the next couple of weeks. But look, as it transpired and, you know, credit to the Camogie Association, to all those grounds people all over the country and to the girls themselves and the management teams that that rolled out every week and, and kept the show on the road and, as Eva said, produced some brilliant Camogie along the way. If I know last year because we'd, you know, we'd very limited things to do. And I know a lot of us, all we wanted to do was consume sport. And it was on, you know, for the Camogie itself, I thought it was on at such amazing times, even the final Saturday evening. But there was games being live streamed. There was games being shown on RTE. There was more coverage last year, I felt, more than ever. And it was strange that it took COVID for Camogie to shine. 
I know, and the live streaming was fantastic as well. I mean, it re- and it really gave teams that wouldn't get the platform, you know, the teams that maybe go out in the earlier rounds that they got a chance to be to be seen. And like I know they, Elaine was working on an awful lot of the online coverage, and I mean, some of the viewing stats for those games it was it was it was great, and it was you know it was it was putting Camogie I think on a platform and on a pedestal that it wouldn't usually be on. And even like my own son Harry, he's nine, like he he was loving the All Ireland final, like I was working at it, but I had a great chat with him the following day, like Limerick won the hurling final the following day but we had a great chat about the Kilkenny players and, and things like that the day after so like I, I love that because you know if if it wasn't COVID times maybe that would have slipped by him or he might have, have got to watch it and I'm sure there's other stories like that out there as well where you know people got to watch it got to sit down um, and you know appreciate the game for what it is it's it's a skillful game like and it's come on so much I'm, I'm gone from the game five years at inter-county level and I can just see like how much it's gone up since then, I mean, everything has gone up a notch and, um, you know, it's fantastic to see. And it, it, it was really, really good and, and really enjoyable. Would you agree, Elaine, Marie, that you've seen such a, you know, a change in Camogie over the years? Yeah, definitely. And as you said, look, it's a pity that it took COVID this year to, to bring the game to a wider audience. But I think even down to club level, like I got to watch county finals from all over the country this year that I'd never have got to see before because, you know, you'd either be playing yourself on the same day or you wouldn't be going to travel maybe to, to Cork or Wexford to watch the county final. But I got to watch all those county finals. So it brought club camogie even to a whole new audience. And I think that fed then into the buzz of inter-county when that started, you know, players who had watched or children who would watch local girls play in a county final the week before could then tune over and watch, you know, their Wexfords and Tips of this world playing inter-county camogie. And it brought a whole new audience, I think, to camogie for the year. And I think it really, really benefited from it. And, and the new rules and everything then just brought the game on a whole other level. Like, completely agree with Aoife. It's gone just up another notch. You know, the physicality of it, strength and condition, the nutrition, everything has just moved on. And, you know, the girls are putting in so much time and effort into it. I think it's just a reward that the All-Ireland final this year really reflected that. Yeah, now that you mentioned the new rules, I know that a lot of us kind of enjoyed the more physical side of things this year and referees seem to, you know, give them a bit more of an opportunity to play on and be a bit more rough, which is what we want to see in those games. No, I just some of my highlights of the year, actually, some of the standout moments for the year involved some of those new rules. I mean, I Neve Rocket scored a goal against Limerick down in Welsh Park and you know, he got a lovely little hurdy pass across from Beth Carton, took a massive shoulder, a really shipped a really heavy shoulder, stayed going, kept her momentum and finished a brilliant shot. And credit to Liz Dempsey, who was refereeing that day, she left the play go, left the hit in as in line with the new rules. And you know, it was a spectacular goal because of it. Like in other times it'd be pulled back and there'd be a twenty one and it'd slow down the game like and again Marion Welch's goal in, in the semi-final against Cork down in Parky Cueve you know that was a ball that I'd say nine times out of ten before Marion would have put the head down gone for the goal dropped the hurl and maybe hand passed it in and you could still would have counted it would have been three points Kenny wouldn't have complained but it wouldn't have been as a spectacular goal whereas this year that option wasn't there she had to stand up take her shot a really good shot to beat Amy Lee in the Cork goal and it just added to that game again and the final one then I suppose the, the finale of the whole year was Denise Gall's penalty it was a one-on-one penalty you know up to this year there would have been three on the goal look who's put to stop Denise scoring it anyway like she's a great shot on those penalties but one-on-one in Crow Park under lights in a December evening. Like, I just think it was a really fitting finish to the All-Ireland with the new rules. Eva, what do you think of the new rules? 
Yeah, I, I, exactly. I'd echo Elaine there. And I think they'll even move on another bit. Like, I think we'll see goalies coming into it a lot more. Like, we've seen, like, the impact of, of goalies, especially in hurling. So I think we'll see something similar. Um, like, I really enjoyed watching Amy Lee, actually, from Cork this year. I think she, you know, she had big shoes to fill. Um, and she did really, really well. And it was her puck outs and even just her movement was great. So, you know, we'll be seeing, I think, a lot more impact of, like, the likes of a quick puck out or even a quick free taken maybe out the field, Um so yeah, they're great. And yeah, the physicality is great. I mean, there was a few All-Ireland finals there and, you know, and, and in fairness to referees, they have to ref by the rules or else they'll, you know, come in, coming in for stick as well. But but like it it ruined games, like some of the rules that were there before, you know, it did. Um, because, you know, girls are, are, are crying out to kind of, you know, impose themselves and, and get themselves into the game and, and you know, use their bodies. Like, so it's um, it's 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 great to see that they've um, changed the rules and, and hopefully we'll see more, you know, progression of them in the next few years as well. Speaking of referees, a little later on the show, we're going to chatting to inter-county referee Ray Kelly. We all know he's got a great relationship with some of those players. So I'm looking forward to chatting to him about how he's getting on in lockdown. But ahead of the All-Stars tonight, we might go through some of the standout moments and maybe players of this year for you. Well, last year, it's so strange that we're here talking about All-Stars and it's March. <laughs> what are we doing? It's March and here we are. It's normally November. It's very strange. But Eva, let's go to you first, maybe a standout moment for you. You kind of touched on at the start. Are you sticking with the Rebecca Henley sidelines? Yeah, it was just, um, it was a day where nothing was really happening up in Salt Hill, you know, and both teams were kind of shadow boxing a little bit because obviously they were going to, you know, play, be playing or thinking of playing each other later on in the championship. Maybe they were kind of being a bit coy, but two sidelines from either side on the 45, um, there, it was just fantastic. And she, she just hit him over and ran away out. She was, you know, there was no drama, nothing else. It was really, really good. Um, so that'd be one of the moments. And I think, to be honest, the, the game that Grace Walsh played in the final um, was just, was she was just brilliant and she was out of her comfort zone maybe a little bit in midfield but she was just going up and down the field and I just really enjoyed watching her play that night and um, they'd be kind of a few of the moments that stuck out for me How about you Elaine? Yeah I think just on Eva's point there on Grace I just think you know she was put out probably in the middle of the field to maybe counteract um, Ethan Donahue there and, and to nullify her effect but not only did she nullify her like she went on to have possibly a player of the match performance herself and popped up with a score like I think you couldn't look for much more in an Ireland final um, as a Kilkenny woman probably that Saturday evening on the, the 12th of December I thought it was just so surreal walking down Jones's Road to head into Crow Park and you know nobody around you think there was nothing happening and suddenly you, you go in under the tunnel in Crow Park and the place is lit up and look the players then brought an absolute classic to it and and the audience that saw it I think was another real highlight for me it, it carried on throughout the whole year but I think the discussion afterwards on Twitter online everyone was talking about the Camogie final and you don't always get that in September you know often you'll have clubs that are off playing club games and people won't watch the Camogie all because they've gone to a club game or they've gone wherever it was that's actually even it seemed to be the only thing that was happening in the world and you know it was brilliant to see for our sport to get that kind of publicity and I think just the image of Denise Gall as she stood over the penalty just those couple of deep breaths and, and the shot then and then running back out the field and just telling everyone to calm down I think that was just kind of an iconic moment in the championship for me. Yeah I'd have to agree with you Elaine I think that um, the Lehrodi on Denise call to <laughs> stand over that and take it. And I think what says more about Denise though was her reaction to scoring it. I know that both of you have seen how you just touched on it there. She came out and she was like, no, everyone calm down. We still have a job to do. And that says a lot about a player. Yeah. And the fact that she went for it, like the safe option was hitting it over the bar all day long, you know? So it was, yeah, it's class goal and so well placed. Um, 
And then like it really, it really just drove on the clicking. I think it was three minutes to go or something like that in normal time. And like it just really drove them on. So yeah, it was great moment. And it really epitomized, I think, the, just the maturity of that Kilkenny team and the experience maybe and how they have matured over the last couple of years. Look, they've been on the end of enough heartache to know that when that ball went into the net that it wasn't over, like they still had a job to do. And Denise Gall was central to that. You know, she had the goal scored. It would have been easy to stand there and take the products, but no, it was straight back out and up there's a job to do for the team here. So, you know, I think that team has really matured over the last couple of years and that really epitomized it. We're going to chat about uh, standout players for you. I know there's three player of the years, uh, senior player of the years in the running tonight. Denise Gall, Grace Walsh and Shawnee Healy. Um, we'll probably chat about who's taking the crown, but is there anyone outside of those three that you would have chosen or uh, is someone in their year standout player of the year, Aoife? Um, like there were some great players in like, you know, up even just from the quarterfinals on, like Karen Kendi was really, really good. I thought Tipperary, um, caught Devan was good as well. I think she was, she was probably nullified a little bit, um, you know, by the Galway defence that day. Um, who like, um, the, the Galway full back line, I spoke about them like a lot during the year. I, I just think they're some unit, um, Heather Cooney, Sarah Durvin and Shauna Healy, like they, they just play like as such a unit together and um they play on the line like you know they're they're tough out but um I wouldn't argue with with the three that are shortlisted at all um and I, I to be honest I'd love to see Grace Walsh get it um you know the player of the year tonight I think that um just for for her performances um this year like she's she's been very good and she's very under the radar she's low key but but just that night I thought she was brilliant for yourself Elaine yeah, look, I think, as um, Aoife said, Karen Kennedy from Tipperary had a brilliant year. Look, Tip probably asked a couple of jobs of her centre-back. She ended up going up and getting that all-important goal in the quarterfinal. You know, she played a number of different roles from them. And, you know, maybe if she had a little bit more support on her, in her and she could go back and just play centre-back, I think she'll develop into a really, really strong player for Tip going forward. Um, outside of that, for Waterford, I think Neve Rocket had a brilliant year. Um, I thought she was just really, really good. She was central to everything Washford did well. You know, she caught puckouts when they needed it. She got crucial goals, crucial scores at crucial times and just worked really hard up and down the field. Um, look, you couldn't argue with the three that, that are named, but from, from Kilkenny and Galway outside that, I thought Claire Phelan had a fantastic year. Um, real, just goes and built her job really silently, really quietly at the back there, but so, so dependable. Like Kilkenny really struggled last year, I think, in that full back line. And I think that's probably the reason Claire was moved back there this year to kind of settle down that full back line a little bit. And and she did it in bucket loads. And I think if you go back and if you had a player cam on Claire alone on a game, you know, like I said, she doesn't always do it. It's not always fancy stuff, but it's so effective and so efficient. Like she clears ball time after time. And, you know, Jem O'Connor caused a little bit of problems early in the semi final against Cork and she went in on Clare there for a while in the second half and I remember one ball in particular just coming out in front of the stand there and Clare just you know got her body in front of her gave her a good nudge got the ball up and perfectly weighted clear and so for me she was really really influential for Kilkenny this year but look Denise Gall and, and Grace Walsh absolutely standout players along with Shauna Healy I thought Shauna Healy and Denise's battle in the All-Ireland final was massive and you know credit to Shauna she came out on top of it for, for a good while of that All-Ireland but when the, the need was the greatest I think Denise stood up as she has been doing all year and, and really put her put her hand up for that one 
Well, we haven't long to wait. Um, we'll find out at seven o'clock who exactly will be player of the year. We're going to be live streamed on Facebook and YouTube from the Camogie Association. We're looking forward to that. I know it's uh, March, but look, we'll watch it anyway. And um, before I let you go and before we head away to watch um, the All-Stars tonight, I know that I was on Congress last weekend, uh, last Saturday, it was the J Congress. And thank God we have someone like Tracy Kennedy here in Cork that was on that call because she's inundated with male colleagues around her on that call. Congress board, but um, Tracy had an opportunity, like everyone else, to maybe raise a few concerns, and she took her opportunity to raise the concerns about where in the journey was the GA with relation to including the integration of Camogie and ladies football, and first of all, I was nearly fist-pumping when I heard Tracy say the question, because <laughs> I was like, finally, because no one else was going to say it on the call, I know that for a fact, but it's great, it's great that you know, Tom Ryan replied and said it's one of their main priorities this year, Aoife. Yeah, it is. And I, I think it has to be, you know, there's probably a few things last year. I think, well, in fairness to, to the Camogie Association, they kind of kept their, their slate clean, I suppose. But, you know, from from ladies football point of view, um, you know, I think it would be good if they could get in under the umbrella, you know, and just, just streamline things. Um, now, like, it is, it is a headache. Like, how does it work? How does it look? How does it filter down to club level and all the rest of it? I know there's there's loads to it. But look, I think that, look, 2021, I think we all need to move on and we all need to, um, you know, to, to see where where is, you know, women in sport and, and where where do where does it all stand? And I think, it, it you know, it has to happen. Um, and it has to happen in a way that will, will progress the sport as well and make it grow and um, just, just be embraced, I think, because... We, you know, we can see the showcase of of what happens on the field, but it's it's when it's 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 really frustrating when the off the field, you know, and I won't say I don't mean antics or when when it off the field is the story, and it's it's frustrating for players. They don't want to be reading it. I mean, like from from a Galway like ladies football point of view last year, like it must have been so frustrating to train all through COVID, to be on your Zoom calls and to be doing all your whatever on your own, and then. You know, the, the story of their season really was, you know, you know, moving from Parnell or from, from I suppose, Gaelic Grounds to Parnell Park to, to Croke Park. So definitely, I think it would be a step in the right direction for everyone to sit down and see, you know, what, what the plan can be and what it will all look like in the future. Is it manageable, Elaine? Is it manageable? Do you think that the ladies might be forgotten about even more if they're thrown in under this umbrella? Yeah, I think it's manageable. And like, I look it's been mute for long enough and it's been spoken about like I think really think the time for action is now and, and let's just get it done you know in a lot of clubs across across the country like I know in Mullivac for years we have been one club you know like the men have been very good and the Camogie club have been very good to the Harley club and we worked really really well together and I think when you have people that are willing to work together it can work like it's very frustrating you see a family coming down maybe new to the area or new to GA and Camogie world and they come down and they want to register Johnny for Harlan and they register Johnny and they become a member of the Harlan club over at this table and then they have to turn around and go and register Mary at the Camogie table and register again for a second club like it doesn't make sense we're all playing the same sport and using the same facilities in the majority of places like it, no doubt it's going to be difficult all these things are and it, you know there will be bumps in the road but there's enough people there and it's been spoken about for long enough now to have these issues ironed out talk them out throw out what the issues are and you know find solutions to them 
Yeah, no, and hopefully it'll just be a positive step. And, you know, obviously we know it's going to take, uh, there'll be a few teething issues if they do try and, you know, get them all under the one umbrella. But um, last week or the week before, I think it was, I was speaking to the Taoiseach, Michal Martin as well, and I also uh, kind of put a bit of pressure on him about ladies, camogie, um, ladies football and camogie. I don't know if you see this, but um, we had a couple of questions on the show and I was like, do you know what, I'm going for it. <laughs> but he was on about um, the J returning and I said that last year, the government gave the men's 14 million and the ladies only 1 million why and would they not give the ladies more and I just thought like here's my one and only chance now to try and have him about ladies sport in Ireland and I kind of was pushed aside a small bit it was kind of a, a political answer shall we say but <laughs> Um, look, it would be great. It would be great if they got more support because who knows, maybe the DA might be able to share some funds like that and the ladies wouldn't be just getting one million when the G are getting 14. Yeah, definitely. And like it is, it's funds, you know, that, that, that are probably needed to grow it, you know. And, and I mean, we can see what happens when the platform is there and what happens when, um, you know, the Komogi can can get exposed to, to even just more eyeballs and whatever else. We can see there's a, there's a new conversation around it and there's a new story happening around it. But but definitely, um, and, and to be fair to like Camogie Ladies Football, I don't think that they want, you know, they don't want to be saying, look, we want, you know, 40 million overnight or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it will grow at a, at a steady pace and it will grow in a way because, you know, I hate seeing the narrative online then saying, well, you know, um, there, are, there aren't thousands going to Camogie matches. Why should they get the same amount of money and all that? But I mean, you know, it, it hasn't been given the same opportunities all through the years as well. So, you know, there's definitely a starting point, but but there has to be, you know, a good benchmark that um, that they can get to as well, I think. I think sponsors help as well, though. We've seen how much that little have grown ladies football, and I know they have a great communications team in there as well, but for the growth of ladies football alone over the last few years, we've seen an attendance, and those even that ad recently on television was absolutely amazing. Like, they really yeah. believe in the sport. Yeah, and it, it, I think it captured the mood as well. Like that uphill struggle, like it's very clever. Whoever came up with the concept, like it was brilliant. And I was watching it, and then for the star player to pass it on to the younger player, like it was really, really good. Um, and it definitely helps. But but seeing that, like it, it's all about familiarity as well. Like it's all about like young kids and normalizing it. And for you know young kids seeing you know female athletes on TV, more female sports on TV, like that. You know that's what it's all about. And. I suppose um, I was on one of these calls with Ashlyn Connolly a couple of weeks ago and, and she was just saying that, look, if, if you're a dad or if you're an uncle or if you're a brother or whatever, bring bring the girls with you as well to the matches, you know, and bring bring your sons to, to camogie matches and to girls sports and everything else. But like, don't be leaving the girl at home just because it's 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 the hurling match and there's only a few tickets in the house, you know, like, you know, give give them the same opportunity as well. I think that's very important, Elaine, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one another great benefit of having the Camogie All-Ireland on the Saturday night this year. You know, families sat down and they watched the Camogie All-Ireland on Saturday night and then tuned in to watch the Hurling All-Ireland on Sunday. And, you know, a young kid at that age doesn't see any difference between who's playing in the All-Irelands. You know, it's it's the Camogie All-Irelands on Saturday night and it's the Hurling on Sunday. And they're both equally as important to those kids, be they boys or girls, you know. And it's great to have that exposure. And like just going back to the ladies' football in Little, it just shows that in, you know, a couple of short years with a bit of sponsorship, a bit of promotion, look how much that sport can grow. So, you know, if the Camogie and ladies' football could even tap into a fraction of what the GA is exposed to at the moment, it would do nothing, only wonders for the sport, you know, and it would grow it. 
Yeah, look, it's exciting times, I think. And I think with the media and that 20 by 20 campaign last year, I do think we've all upped our game a small bit in covering it and it can only continue. But before I let you go, I was online earlier and every week before I have my guests on the show, I like to promote them on my Instagram. And I went rooting through the archives to find pictures of the boat in action. And uh, might I say the pictures from back in the day, like what kind of photographers were at those matches, ladies? I mean... What was going on there? <laughs> Valerie, if they see the light of day, <laughs> they're desperate. So I don't know, Yves they have you inside in bushes with a cup and they're you jumping in the air with the Hurley. I don't know, was that your Hurley in that picture? But I've never seen a Hurley like it, the picture. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> And both of you are fans of rolling the jersey up to get a tan, Marie. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. All about oh, getting rid of the yeah, it's all about the tan. <laughs> before fake tan, it had to be natural. Oh, guess. <laughs> well, look, I, I might keep those in the archives and save you, save you the embarrassment. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want me to pull those back no, up? I'd say keep them for another day, Valerie. They're grand oh. for the air, though. Yeah. They're probably safer in the archives. <laughs> well, look, um, ladies, it's great having you in the show. But first of all, I know that both of you are in media quite some time, but how are you finding life in the media now, the other side of it, going from being a player to commenting on commentating on players? Aoife, you first. Um, well, I especially I suppose during COVID, I really really enjoyed it. Um, but but it's great. It's 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 um, you know it gives you a chance to go obviously go to the games, but but to kind of have a keen interest in it as well. You know, just just um, at, I suppose just at a, a bit of a different level. It's it's um, it's nice, and you get to you know, meet former players as well, which is great, um, you know, up in the, the media suite or wherever it is you are. Um, and just just seeing the game up close as well, you know, it's great. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I echo exactly what Aoife said there, especially this year, you know, to be able to get to the games is just absolutely unreal and, and to experience firsthand. And I suppose you never replicate the playing. That's that's something totally different, but it's to do it from a different angle, I suppose. And and to see the games from, from another point of view, you know, you don't always get to, to see everything when you're playing it so when you get to have that kind of helicopter view of it I suppose you get to appreciate things a lot better and like I said the game has moved on so much in the last couple of years it's brilliant to be able to witness it firsthand. Well it's great and thank you so much for joining me on the show tonight and I'm sure and hopefully we'll be back at game soon covering them uh, whether we've there with our masks on and it's back to normal or wherever we are in the country covering games but thank you so much for joining me in the Big Red Bench tonight. Great thanks. Thanks Valerie. Melanie and Ordenitha Sheehan uh, previewing the Camogie All-Stars and taking a look back at last season. Hopefully we'll be back at game soon. I think we're all feeling it now at the moment. But we will be touching a little later on on Camogie as well with referee Ray Kelly to find out how the referees are getting on. But recently I had the chance to catch up with Olympic hopeful and Cork Roar Gary O'Donovan. Now this is part one of it and you'll hear part two of it tomorrow night on the Big Red Bench with Rory. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Valerie. How are you? Good. How have you been keeping? Good, can't complain. Yeah, happy enough training in the in this kind of a lockdown environment. So I am. And you're training away. Are you finding it hard to stay motivated at the moment? Uh not too bad actually. I think um, I think this kind of um, this lockdown works well for for us as athletes out in the rowing centre because um, you know we'd be usually trying to just keep our head down and stick to ourselves and train away all the time. And I think you know with the way the way the world is at the minute, it. it um, it lends itself nicely to the, the full-time training because there's a lot less distractions. You know, there's a lot less things happening. There's a lot less invitations to, you know, parties and friends inviting you to different things. So, you know, you can just uh, get um, 
get really on top of the recovery and keep training away hard. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't find it too bad at the minute. Are you at home in Skibbereen? No, we're based in Cork. Yeah, so we train in the National Rowing Centre full time out in Farron Woods, and um, yeah, so that's kind of living in Cork, training in Cork most of the time. I think a lot of people are finding this lockdown the hardest, Gary, just because it seems to be mm. there's no end in sight, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You personally, how are you finding it? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I have to agree with you. Like, I mean, I've noticed it with a lot of people that I've that I've been talking to, like that they seem to be really struggling, and I think it, like, it doesn't help that the days are short and you know the nights the nights close in early, but. Um, you know, like people are, I think we're over the worst of it, especially to, with the weather, like the weather will be picking up and I think that'll, that'll cheer a lot of people up because they'll be like, you know, they'll finish work in the evenings at home and they'll be able to at least get out for a walk in the sunshine. And I think the sun, like the sun generally picks up people's moods. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully people will start feeling a bit of a lift coming into the spring. Is there anything you do to stay positive besides rowing? Oh, I don't, not a whole pile. Like, yeah, no, the, the rowing is enough. Like, um, I do a little bit of reading there and different things like that. Um, but mostly, yeah, just go rowing. And I think come home, rest, go rowing again. And that's about the likes of it. There isn't much time for other things, uh, especially at the minute, you know, we're leading up to, we're leading up to trials for the Olympic team. And there'll be some, hopefully there'll be some international racing once we get to the spring. So it's pretty much, um, you know, fairly concentrated on training and there isn't too much going on to, to do anything else around it. How many hours a day do you spend in the water? Uh, on the water at the minute? Well, like, if the weather's good, we can get out twice in the day and we'd spend maybe four, four and a half hours on the water, maybe two, two and a half in the morning and then two in the evening. Um, but the weather isn't great all the time, so most days we'd be lucky to get like 90 minutes on the water, two hours, and then on the rowing machine in the evening. So you're saying the weather has an effect on your training, like if it's lashing rain, you wouldn't bother going out? Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't, like, when it's cold and wet, it's not very nice going out in that because, you know, you, you risk getting sick or picking up a bit of a cold or something. Um, if it's wet and warm, we can go out. The, the big one for us is the wind. Like, if it's very windy, we, we struggle to get on the water then. And then it's a lot of rowing machine. And, you know, the past couple of weeks has been fairly windy. Um, I guess the big thing for us this year compared to previous years with the, with the COVID is that we haven't been able to get out far and for a training camp. We'd usually spend a lot of time in the south of Spain during the winter to go training, but... Uh, that hasn't been, you know, that hasn't been possible this year. So we've been spending a lot more time in Cork, um, which is nice. You know, it's a nice change to be at home for the full Christmas. But we are we're lacking that little bit more sunshine. And, and there's no you know, sunny the, Spain, Gary. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the skin is a little paler now this time compared <laughs> to it would be usually. You know, you did mention the trials are on the horizon. How are you feeling about them? Good. Yeah, um, I think we're all going well. Like we've done some some internal testing within the the team and everyone seems to be going fast, you know, across, across all the, the categories of men, women, heavyweight and lightweight. And, you know, our, our own, our own lightweight team, we've been going very well and it's all very competitive. So it'll be very interesting to see who, who gets into the boat and who doesn't, you know. And I mean, it's, it's gas that you mentioned competitive because locally in Skibbereen, that's where the competition is between amongst the lot of you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, especially in the lightweight program, we've, we've been producing, um, We've been producing lightweights for years, you know, even going back into like the late 90s, early 2000s, we've had successful, you know, world, world championship winning, world championship medal winning athletes um, for nearly, you know, for over 20 years. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty competitive and, and you know, there, there seems to be no signs of that stopping anytime soon either. What's the competition like with the brother? Oh, sure. It's standard. It's the usual carry on, like, yeah. Um, 
it kind of it. I think it's uh, it's not as bad as it used to be because we don't spend as much time together outside of the boat. So that when we're training, we're together, and that's when it's competitive. And then we leave training, and we we kind of separate. Like before, we used to live together, and it was just competition to who could cook a better dinner, or who could make better breakfast, or who could I don't know predict the who's going to win a race on the Tour de France or something. You know, there was always just something that we were always bickering about. But um, yeah, no, we're a bit older and a bit wiser, and we're not. We're not living together, so we, we got that bit of division, and it's just kind of, um, it's just exclusive to the rowing program now, which is a, uh, it's good, it's good, it's it's it, it's great for um, it's great for adding the intensity and the the excitement to training. I think the excitement more than anything, you know, we all there's a bunch of us there from Skibreen, and we we are all very fast, and we all want to train hard, and I think if it was just if there was nobody there and we were all having to train on our own there would be no problem we would just train hard but I think it just makes it more exciting and more interesting to have a group around you that, that you can kind of have a bit of fun training hard against Yeah Tokyo is on the horizon and I mean you must be blue in the face when people asking you whether it's going to go ahead or not but you as an <laughs> Olympic hopeful you know you're saying it is because you would want to think any other way uh, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, as far as we know, it is going ahead. We're being told that they're planning on going ahead with it. So that's that's good enough for us to keep training hard. Yeah. When will you know? When will you know about whether you've made the boat or not? Is there a certain uh, date? There's there's not really a set date for naming the team, but we will run trials at the end of next month to get a to get a good gauge of where everyone's at. And I guess in theory what'll happen at the end of March is we'll we'll run trials, pick the fastest two, and then we'll hopefully be able to go to Italy to race the European Championships. Um and that'll provide more testing for the boat then to see, you know, hopefully it's like it should be fast and we, we expect it to be fast this year because we're all going very well in training. Um and we should have a very good idea by the end of the next month who's in it. The big red bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM Welcome back to the Big Red Bench with me Valerie Wheeler just before the break you heard Gary O'Donovan Olympic hopeful and Cork Aurora you will hear part 2 of that chat tomorrow night with Rory on the Big Red Bench so let's continue the Camogie coverage ahead of the All-Stars tonight last week I caught up with Camogie inter-county referee Ray Kelly Ray welcome to the Big Red Bench Thanks a million Valerie pleasure to be on Ray, how's life been in lockdown for a referee? We talked to GA stars, we talked to Camogie stars, and we forget about the four all referees. Yeah, it, it's been an odd time. It's been strange. It's been good for me in a sense because I've been concentrating on doing up my house at the moment, renovating it, uh, moving home. So it's great for me to not to be able to have to worry about going out every weekend and that. But uh, there is times you sit in the couch and you say to yourself, God, I'd love to be out in the middle of a pitch right now. Like, What was the last game you were involved in? Uh, I done the line in the senior All Ireland final, and I refereed then the senior semi final. So that's a long time ago now at this stage, isn't it? How how did you find? Uh, I tell you, it's so strange because when you do games week in week out, and you do probably five games a week or six games a week, club games, you know your fitness level is up there, you know very high, like, and you know the rules inside out. But when you take a couple of weeks off and you do a game once every probably three or four weeks now, it's kind of hard to get back into it. And then you're kind of, you're probably that little bit slower blowing the whistle and that sometimes like, you know what I mean? So your sharpness just drops that little bit like. And what was it like for you refereeing a Camogie final in the lead up to Christmas? I mean, I was above in the stand with a Santa Claus hat on while you were blowing the line. <laughs> well, I was shivering. I won't tell you a word of a lie. Like, And of course, we're not allowed to wear jackets. 
which I think is a bit mad. Like when you look at the GA referees, they're wearing their hats, they're wearing their jackets, their gloves, the whole lot. But unfortunately, we have to, we have to wear our jerseys. And it's a nightmare sometimes. You're shivering deep down. You can't look up and go, God, I'd love that cup of tea that you're holding in your hand. Well, look, it was a strange time for you to be involved around Christmas time. I mean, you were obviously delighted to be involved, but having the games, you know, COVID had such a big impact on you. What was the impact like for referees? Um, the atmosphere, the lead up to it, it isn't really the same. And the banter doesn't really be there, you know. Like, you go out onto, the, especially Crow Park, I suppose, like every aim is to get to Crow Park and do a final in Crow Park or a big final where there's going to be 20 plus thousand people at it. And when you walk out onto the pitch and you hear the roar and you hear the excitement from both fans and both teams, that gets you your adrenaline going a bit, you know what I mean? And it, it seems to be, when you walk out into the middle of the pitch, it's just like a normal run of the game, day game, like an under 14, 15, any sort of minor game at all, it's just no kind of atmosphere, there's no excitement, there's no butterflies in your stomach where you, you know, and you hear that roar when the team is going in on goal and you hear the big roar from them going, ooh, it's nearly a goal. You know, that feeling when you're running up the pitch is amazing, that feeling. And to feel, and not to feel that this year is kind of a big factor missing in it. And did you feel your refereeing style changed maybe because of COVID or do you feel like you stayed the same? Um, I'd like to think I stayed the same, but again, the intensity factor, I suppose the television, televised games, you know, it's good for that. Did you get, on the, did you get to televised games? Because that keeps your sharpness up. You have to be on the ball there. <clears throat> but every other game, you know, you kind of say to yourself, there's no spectators here. There's no one watching me. You know, the, it's not it's not the same. It's just not the same. And you kind of just, I don't want to say you relax a bit more, but you tend to just be a bit soft-hearted about certain things like and, you know, when it came to the television and maybe you were reffing games on television, did you think that adds extra pressure because you have people at home going, ah, for God's sake, that might know the rules come over going, what in the name of God is Ray Kelly after doing today? Why is he blow that whistle? Yeah, look, that that's one of my pet hates in Camogie. I always feel like like if people don't know the rules about Camogie, they shouldn't comment on it. And you see that a lot after games. You see a lot of uh, post-match stuff going up on Facebooks and Twitters and you know, and they're always complaining about referees doing this and referees doing that. But if they knew the ins and outs of Camogie rules, then they might be as quick to judge as they are like. Um, I don't pay attention to any of it, really. I don't, I'm not on Facebook or anything like that. I wouldn't know how to use it, to be honest, anyway. so Yeah, Ray, we trouble getting you into this Zoom today now, so I'd hate to see you set up a Facebook page. <laughs> you made me run home from work. They've not rung up my fitness level this morning, having to run home from work, jump into the shower and try and get ready for all this. And I had not a clue what I was doing. And I wouldn't mind when, for everyone listening, Ray said he came home, showered, did his hair, shaved. And I said, Ray, we only need the audio. We don't need the video at all. <laughs> and I ran home from work like it was madness like. And I said, thank you, Valerie. I said, what are you doing to me? And when you sent me the link this morning, I seen Zoom and I said, oh, no, that must be the Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, no, I only need the audio. We only need the audio. I got my 10 year old to set me up on it. <laughs> oh, Ray, sometimes you're... Give me a whistle and 30,000 people any day of the week. Give me a Zoom call and I'm petrified. <laughs> well, you speak of fitness, Rhea. How are the fitness levels going? I mean, to be fair, mine have just seemed to fizzle away to nothing. I'd say if I had to walk up the steps to my house now, I'd get out of breath. But for a referee, you know, you probably need to keep yourself a bit sharp because you don't know when you're going to return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I suppose you have to do a bit like, you know what I mean? What I don't get is is road running. Um, I see a lot of people out doing road running and I see a lot of people like 
we don't play in matches on the road at the end of the day. We play in a pitch. So running on the road and running on the pitch is two different things. And I seem to think that it's better for you to do, like, I have a big grass area outside my house, which isn't too bad, so I can run around the grass pitch there. Um, and I do a few short sprints. Because refereeing isn't about, you know, a long sprint. It's more like short sprints where you've got to go from point A to point B in a certain space of time. And I think it's better if you run around the grass um, and then do it every couple of seconds, do a short sprint, maybe 20 metres here or 30 metres there, and then cool it down and just jog around and then sprint again. I might look like a lunatic to my neighbours, but it's kind of what you do like to keep fit. But uh, again, I've put on the COVID stone easily, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> eating cakes the whole time, it's ridiculous. Like. Yeah, well, you have fond love of baking. You bake cakes. Yeah, well, look, it, it, my, mo- my mother does most of the baking, in fairness to her, like, she's a great cook, like, but she has passed it on to us, so uh, we've had no choice but to learn how to do it. Um, but every week she's sending down cakes to me, and how do you turn around and say, no, I'm not going to eat them, like? No, yeah, it's very, very difficult, and I know that you just need to keep yourself some small bit sharp for the return of our games, but... Oh, yeah, you know. we've, been, we've been building up to our fitness test. We have a fitness test coming up shortly um, for the for the camogie. So what we've been doing is we've been kind of doing... Every week, we're kind of building up the intensity level every week, like we've been told to do. We've been given a fitness plan by the Camogie Association to carry out. So we have been doing that little bit of fitness work to try and keep it going. So uh, we will build it up every week in and week out, like as we get closer to it. What is the fitness test like for you as a referee? What kind of things do you do on the day? Um, well, it, it, it's, it's a basically, it's a yo-yo test, which is a step up from a bleed test. Um, it's a bit more intense, I find it. Um, so basically what we have to do is, you know, your 20 meter sprints and you, you start out at cone one, you get to cone two and you get back to cone one and you've got to build yourself up to that. And we have to prepare in a certain way that we can last, like it gets quicker every time. And anyone that's done it before will know what I'm talking about. But it is tough enough when you're doing it outside and sometimes you've got a windy day or you might be running against the wind. And it is very difficult. Um, and it, it's very intense because you've got a certain level that you've got to get to. And if you don't get to that level, you don't get the games that you need to get. I can imagine so, and it's not easy, but would you feel safe to return to the games? As, you know, if they were to return next week, would you possibly feel safe as a referee? Um, I, I would feel safe, yeah, I would. I don't agree with some of the things that the uh, GA policies have brought in. Like, like I don't understand this thing of the dressing rooms not being open and not being able to have a shower after a match. Um, I think that's, that's ridiculous in my opinion. Like, you go out to the pitch and you might rub off 10 people during the match or shoulder them or challenge for a ball. There could be 10. You could touch off 15 people in a match and you're expected then to pick up your gear bag, get into your car. So you're now transmitting any disease that you might have picked up on the pitch. You're now bringing that into the car. Then you're driving home into your family, into your family home. You walk into the door. Nine times out of 10, you don't go straight up the stairs to have a shower. You might go in and get a glass of water. You might go in and say hello to your loved ones. And then five or 10 minutes later, you might go and have a shower then. So anything you've brought from the pitch, you've now brought into your car into your home, and it's spreading it. In my, in my eyes, it's spreading it. It's better off if you have a shower in the dressing room straight after the game and you wash all the disease off you if you have any. Hopefully that when we do return to play, you know, that they'll have, you know, clear guidance for everyone involved, the players and stuff, and that's all we want. All we want is for it to return to play. I think a lot of us are missing live sport, and it kind of gave us a great escape last year through tough times, and I, God only knows I definitely needed to come back as soon as possible for my own mental health. Yeah, I definitely, I, I agree with you 100% there. Like people are cracking up at home and to have that bit of sport on television has been a huge plus to, to many people out there, keeping them sane basically because there is a lot of GA heads out there who love going to every sort of game and watching t- on television any chance to get. So it has been good. And in fairness to the people who did risk their lives, 
going out refereeing games, commentating on games, uh, stewards at matches. You know, them people need to be to be thanked basically because without them, this wouldn't have went ahead. And I'm sure mental health has a big thing to play in it because there would have been plenty of issues out there if the people didn't have the likes of GA to look at, uh, football, different things that's going on. Like, and mental health is a big thing at the moment. Like, and and I'm sure this would have added to it if they didn't have the games to it. So fair play to everybody involved who has done their bit. Um, more so you, you and everybody else has done their bit to keep it going. And without that, we'd be lost. As a referee, um, Ray, you seem to have a good enough relationship with the players. Um, I, yeah, I, well, I like to build up a relationship with them. I think it's great for, like, it's easier when you referee a game if the players know you and know your style of refereeing. And it's very easy for them. Like, pe- people in the stands don't really hear the conversations that go on in the pitch with players. Like, players will say, just, I'm sorry about that, Ray, it won't happen again. Or I'd blow the whistle and say, or I'd run by them and say, the likes of, say, Denise Gall or someone, I'd run by her and say, Denise... I says, watch the chopping, or Denise, watch pulling the jersey, just things like that, like, you know, and it makes the game so much easier when you can say that to a player and they'll respect you and turn around and say, sorry about that, Ray, I won't do it again. So it, it makes the game a lot easier and means you don't have to blow the whistle as much and you don't have to dish out yellow cards, hopefully. And obviously players, I think, respect that, maybe that you're giving them maybe a slight opportunity to behave, behave before you need to blow the whistle. Oh, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Like, like players, if players feel that they can talk to a referee, I think it makes the game a lot better because if you, the last thing you want is a referee to be a big power head or big power control on them and, refer, and players are afraid to speak to them because then the players don't know what they're doing wrong and if, if the referee just blows the whistle and runs away from them, they're not sure what they've done wrong and they can't learn unless they're told what they've done wrong. So it's very good, easy for them players to turn around and say, Ray, what did I do wrong there? Or Ray, I didn't think that was a free. And then you'd explain to them and they say, oh, I didn't know that was a rule in the mug. or I didn't know that was a new rule that's brought in. And it's very easy then to, to, to get the game through and it's free-flowing then after that because you can just very easily just run by any player and just say to them, that's a new rule brought in, you can't do that, and that from now on. And you just give them that, I suppose this year because of the trial rules and that we have been giving them a small bit of a, a leeway. Now maybe next year it might be different, maybe thought to clamp down a bit more on it. But definitely this year now we have been talking to them a lot more, kind of explaining the new rules to them and not blowing it as much as we probably should like. You know, often we see games in the lead up to an All Ireland final. Some games might be refed a bit strict, but when it comes to the final, referees seem to let it go a bit more free flow. Is there some kind of guidance to say, lads, let this game be enjoyable for everybody now, and let's not have anybody giving out about the game? No, no, definitely not. We'd be shot if that happened. Absolutely not. No, we're told the rules don't change for a final. The rules are the same the whole way through. So referee, as you normally would, um, it's it's your referee that got you here in the first place. So referees the way you've been refereeing all year, as what we've been told to do. But like, we all wanted the, the rules to change. We all wanted a bit more physicality because I think a lot of people that do watch it think it's like hurling. And realistically, it's not, you know, um, and they expect it to be like that. And that's when the kind of the, all the, the bad comments go up online and things like that. Like, so it doesn't help the game and it doesn't promote the game in, in a good way. Um, if people are giving out about the whole time online because it kind of gives bad publicity. So I think the, the easier you can referee the game and make it free flowing, uh, the better that people will more enjoy it more and tune back into the next game and say, oh, just that was a great game at Camogie last week. I can't wait for the next one to come on next week. You know, so I think if we can get that level playing field where people understand where referees are refereeing the game and and make it enjoyable for them to watch, I suppose, at the same time, with, but also keeping control of the game, I suppose. You've ref plenty of games. What's your favourite one to date? Anyone that stands out Ray, for you? Uh, God, uh, I've ref too many, I suppose, at this stage. Well, the one game I always, I never forget is my very first game, um, and that's the only game that really sticks out in my head. That I suppose 
I suppose it'll never leave me. I, I never wanted to do camogie in the first place. Uh, camogie was never my choice, my first choice. Uh, I just got a phone call one day and a fella says to me, Ray, would you take up referee? And, and I just says, yeah, look, I said, we'll ta- I said if my father was a referee, sure, I'll try it. I says, I'll only do football though because I don't know any of the rules, so I'll do the football. So then I'd done the course anyway and that was grand. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call uh, from a f- another referee friend of mine. He says, Ray, I'm double booked. There's any chance you do a match for me? And I says, no, not a chance. I says, I said, I'm busy. And he goes, Ray, please, please, I'm double booked and double booked. I said, look, what is it? He says to me, it's Camogie. And I says, John, I says, I haven't a clue about Camogie. I said, I have no idea. And he says to me, Ray, he says, I'm begging you, so I'm double booked. It's only a kid's game. It's only under 13. All you'll be doing is putting the ball along the ground. And all you've got to do is keep the time and keep the score. And that's all you have to do. There'll be no fouls in it. And I said, John, I said, no. I said, just try and get someone else first if you can. And if you can't, give me a call back. And short of James, he ran me back. He says, Ray, I can't get anyone. And to this day, I'm convinced he didn't try anyone else, but just ran me back. So I went out anyway to kill, to do the match. And I stood in the middle of the pitch and I couldn't see any kids around the place. And I was wondering, what's going on here? And I was standing in the middle of the pitch and waiting and waiting. I could see cars, but I couldn't see any kids and I couldn't see any parents warming up or anything like that. So I didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, two minutes before throwing, these double doors opened up and two senior teams came running out of dressing rooms. I hadn't a clue what to do. Never forget it. And I threw the ball in, shaking like a leaf. And the very first foul I ever blew for, a girl had cleanly hooked a girl from behind and I blew for a chop. <laughs> It was terrible. I had to bluff my way through it and say, no, no, I see her coming down in the hurl. And I bluffed my way through the whole game. And I couldn't believe it that they rang me the following evening and said, Ray, we have another game next week. Is there any chance to come over and do it for us? And that's how it all started. Like, And that's how I remember. That's the only game that really sticks out in my head. Other than that, it's got to be the All-Ireland Finals. Yeah, I I can't imagine. I can't believe that's how you started your Kowogi refereeing uh, career, Ray, to be honest. But anyway, here we are. This is how you did start it. I can't believe it. That's an amazing story to think about. It is. It was crazy. Like, I absolutely petrified. And I won't tell you what I said to him after the game was over when I rang him. I effed and blinded him. I did at the time I did. I couldn't believe it. But I've gone from strength to strength, obviously. Uh, I wouldn't look back. It's the best thing I've ever done. Um, I can't see myself going any other way it's been brilliant um, I have thought about hurling I have thought about you know transferring over but to me Camogie is just an amazing sport amazing people I've gained so many friends and um, people I've just gained to know like um, and it's been amazing for me like in my life yeah, no, it really has. And it's great that we have you on the pitch because we've gotten used to you as well out there, Ray, now that we're above in the commentary box. Sometimes we, we try and take it easy on you as much as we can, but, you know, we have to do our job too. Absolutely. Like, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold anything against anybody who says anything during a match because at the end of the day, you're there to do a job no more than I'm there to do a job or the manager's there to do a job. So whatever's said in the pitch is said in the pitch. And once the final whistle goes, that's it. We move on to the next game and... We carry on as normal. Well, Ray, hopefully we'll be back in action again soon and we'll be seeing you on the pitch as well. But keep away from the cakes now, will you? That could be a hard job now. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures that I've been putting up now, but uh, it's hard to resist them. And I'm going to try my best and try and get back into a bit more. It's getting that motivation up off the couch part. That's the killing part. But I'm sure in the next couple of weeks now, I'll be getting stepping up now, getting ready for the fitness test. Ray, thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench as always. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. Ray Kelly chatting to me there. Uh, what a great chap, great character as well. But now it's time for Colm O'Sullivan who caught up with Ronnie Whelan. 
So I'm delighted to say we're joined by Republic of Ireland and Liverpool legend Ronnie Whelan, who's going to be joining us every Saturday to talk football as part of Sport Nation's sponsorship of sport here on Cork's Red FM. And it's been a great season, a strange season so far, without the crowds and so on, Ronnie. And defending champions Liverpool, they've been disappointing to say the least, haven't they? It's been a great season for everyone else's season, but not Liverpool. Um, no, they are struggling at the moment. Um, a lot has been made of the two centre-backs missing out, um, or three centre-backs, three main centre-backs missing out. You have to take two of your best midfielders out, um, as in Henderson and Fabinho. Then Henderson gets injured. So there's a lot being made of that, but there's more to it. And I was pretty worried last night when I watched them against Chelsea. Um, one or two, maybe a little bit more, may have decided to throw the towel in at this moment in time. But we're still... What, 11 games to go? Is it 12 games to go? Something like that. They they need to start picking points up very, very quickly if they're going to stay in the Champions League or qualify for the Champions League. They really do. And it's Fulham, their opponents tomorrow, who are in a battle of their own. And I mean, Fulham need to pick up points too to try and stave off relegation. And Liverpool, there's never been so many teams going for the top four, really. If you look at it there, Spurs, Liverpool, West Ham, Everton, Chelsea, Leicester, they're all in the running, Ronnie. They are all in the running. Um, Liverpool picked up some bad results, especially off the bottom teams, as in West Brom, Newcastle, Southampton, all these, all these teams Liverpool were either drawn with or they were beating Liverpool. And that's put them in the predicament they are. If teams win the games in hand, Liverpool go into ninth position. Come on. They started the game last night with nine Champions League winners. And then people are still saying it's because of the two centre-backs. There's a bit more to it than that. They're not playing well whatsoever. They're not playing well and there's been a lot of excuses given obviously the centre-backs Van Dijk getting injured so early on in the season the lack of the Anfield atmosphere the Anfield crowd that's been put down to it as well but I mean other teams are still playing well without the crowd so are Liverpool that reliant on their fans? I think sometimes Colm some players react to fans and I think there's other players don't like the fans in the stadium especially if they're starting to get a bit of stick they go into a little shell and they don't perform as they should I think the Liverpool players have been used to over the last what four or five years, this squad, three or four years, the, um, the amount of good feedback they get from the crowd, especially at Anfield, what, five on the trot they've lost at Anfield, never happened in the history of Liverpool. I think those players are missing the crowds. Um, it's Fulham the opponents this week, as we said, on Sunday, and Fulham, as we said, down the relegation battle. It's not going to be an easy game for Liverpool, but it's a game you would expect them surely to win, Ronnie. You expect them surely to win, but then we've been saying this for the last six weeks. We thought when they, when they beat Tottenham away, they beat West Ham away, we turn the corner. Then they beat Sheffield United, we thought we'd won, turn the corner, and we, and we don't. We don't turn many corners, and we keep ending up back in the same place. It should be. Come on, Liverpool, reigning champions. OK, they're not playing very well, but Fulham are uh, Yeah, they are in a relegation battle, but they are third from bottom for a reason. You know, because they're not winning every game and Liverpool should beat them at Anfield this week it's a, a big day actually on Sunday we'll come to some of the Saturday games in a little while but just looking at Sunday first of all because um, the early game West Brom Newcastle then Liverpool Fulham and then you have the biggest game of the weekend Man City who are unstoppable at the moment 21 wins in a row it's phenomenal up against Manchester United Manchester Derby I mean can United get something from this realistically they, they've had a poor couple of results themselves over the last couple of weeks drawing the last two games and I mean even if United are to win they're still 11 points behind City. Have City got the title wrapped up, do you think, Ronnie? Yeah, the title's gone. You've won the title. It's now a big challenge, as you mentioned, for top four. Man United are in a a very, very good position for top four. I don't see them winning at City. I think City are playing so, so well. They can change five or six players. The bench is full of 
current top international players. Um, they've not got many injuries. They put it down last season to Laporte while they didn't play so well last season. Um, he's back in. Stones is playing well. There just seems to be a massive change from the start. City went great at the start of the season, but they've picked up since and gone on this magnificent run of 20 odd games unbeaten. Or I don't see United doing it. I've seen United sometimes, even when they played Liverpool. United, they went a little bit more defensive, and I think they'll try that against City. But I think they'll get they'll come unstuck because of it. Twenty-one wins in a row is phenomenal. I mean, not many teams have done that in history. I think the record is twenty-six from the Ajax team of the seventies. I saw at Sky Sports the other night. Um, could City get to that 26, 27 wins in a row? Do you think? Yes, the way they're playing, I, does not. I, they could go on and win the Champions League as well for me. They just are playing so much good football. It just becomes so easy to them. Every one of the players, you just give them the ball and then there's always somebody for the next ball. Um, for me, they've told, Liverpool had a high level last season when they won the, the Premiership. City are now trying to get back up and, and trying to raise the bar yet again. So um, it, it's a delight to watch City when they're in full flow. Uh, the other game on Sunday then is Spurs versus Crystal Palace. And Spurs under Jose Mourinho this, this year, they've kind of been hit and miss. Um, they were up up the top of the table uh, before Christmas they were doing really really well they've kind of fallen away since but they've been playing well again in the last week or two how do you think they'll do against Crystal Palace this weekend? Um, I expect them to beat Palace they're at home uh, Palace are not playing great at the moment they're, they're, they're trying um, but it's not happening for them um, you look at Tottenham I watched them last week when, when Moura um, Kane Son and Bale played and they look so, so good going forward. I know they're not the greatest team in the world defensively, but going forward, if they had them, then in, was it midweek, they brought in Deli Alley instead of yeah. Mora. So they, they've got bodies, they've got faces, they've got good players, and I expect them to, to be Crystal Palace at home for them to push as well for going for top four. And it's time for our charity bet before we finish up. We're going to do this every week. Ronnie is going to pick um, either a game or an accumulator or a double or something for us on the Premier League. And we're going to do a 50 euro bet with Sport Nation every single week here on Cork's Red FM. And we're going to give you a chance to then maybe pick a Cork charity later on towards the end of the season if Ronnie picks the right ones. So it's all on you, Ronnie, how much money this Cork charity that we're going to pick gets. Um, we'll donate the winnings every single week and we'll accumulate it up at the end of the season to give to that Cork charity. So what are you going to go for this week, Ron? Well, you know what I thought about on the Saturday, all the, all the, the ones where I said I think there's going to be draws and it would have been big money to get three or four draws up on Saturday. But because it's the first week and uh, I just went a little bit cagey. I'll go um, a double Tottenham Hotspur to win against Palace and I'm staying with Liverpool. Liverpool are two <laughs> to five. Any other year, any other week, they'd be one to four, one to five. But the two to five, um, Tottenham five to 11, I think it is, and they get you just over even money bet so I'll go okay, Tottenham so and Liverpool double Tottenham and Liverpool double 50 quid on that we'll see how that gets on if it comes in if it wins we'll put that in the pot and we'll add it all up at the end of the season and donate all that money to a Cork charity with thanks to Sport Nation listen Ronnie uh, enjoy the football over the weekend and thanks for joining us and we'll chat to you again next week thanks Colin see you soon Colin and Ronnie Whelan they're chatting so that is it for me tonight I'm back next Saturday um, from 6pm on the Big Red Bench Rory's back tomorrow night you will hear the rest of Gary O'Donovan's interview our Irish Roar Olympic hopeful uh, that is it for me Stevie G is on the way next good luck